0: We are in a series titled Who is God? Our theme verse for this series is Jeremiah chapter 9, verses 23 and 24. Thus says the Lord, Let not the wise man boast in his wisdom, let not the mighty man boast in his might, let not the rich man boast in his riches, but let him who boasts boast in this that he understands and knows me. You want to do something that God believes is so significant, he says it's okay to boast about. It's increase your understanding of God so that you may deepen your knowledge of him. Uh, We're not trying to increase our knowledge of God so that we can uh, sound super smart at the cocktail parties and win at Trivial Pursuit, but rather that we might have a deep relationship with God so that we might know our God. And so during this series, we're trying to increase our knowledge of him. We want our picture of God to be accurate. The more accurate it is, uh, the easier it is to relate to him. And the fact is that left to ourselves, we always create God in our own image after our likeness, but God is wholly other. And so we cannot know God apart from him revealing himself to us, which thankfully he has uh, in his word and ultimately in the face of his son, Jesus Christ. And so during this series, we've been opening up the scriptures. What does God uh, teach us about who he is each week we've been looking at a different attribute of god some attributes of god are called uh communicable because we share them as uh, as those created in god's image we share in in uh, some of god's attributes the communicable and then there are incommunicable attributes those we do not share with god such as his omnipresence his omniscience uh, and other things. Today's attribute is God's jealousy. In Exodus chapter 20, verse 5, we read, I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. Exodus 34, 14, you shall worship no other God, for the Lord whose name is jealous, is a jealous God. Deuteronomy 615, the Lord your God in your midst is a jealous God. And there are many more scriptures uh, outlining the jealousy of God for the people that he loves. Now, wait, How? God's good. How can he be jealous? I thought jealousy is bad. Well, there are two kinds of jealousy, only one of which is bad. The jealousy that says, I want what you've got, and I hate you because you've got it rather than me. That, we often refer to that as envy. That is, that's bad jealousy. That's the kind of jealousy that Cain had for Abel, right? Abel's sacrifices were acceptable to God, and he found favor in God's eyes, and Cain was jealous of that, that. and he hated Abel because Abel had God's favor, and he didn't, and it motivated him. That jealousy motivated him to kill his brother, Abel. And so that kind of jealousy is absolutely bad, and, of course, it's all over, the world, and we have to guard our own hearts that we don't go there. It has no love in it. If there's any love, it's self-love, but not love for other people. That's not the kind of jealousy that God has. But there's a second kind of jealousy. That's good jealousy. And that's the jealousy to protect a covenant relationship, to guard its integrity, and to preserve it from uh, breaking apart. And this is the kind of uh, jealousy that a husband has when he sees another man flirting with his wife. And he's like, hey, 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 no, no, no. Uh, And he intervenes, right? He's trying to protect the integrity of the marriage relationship, which is a covenant relationship. It's the kind of uh, jealousy that would uh, motivate a, a wife to confront her husband on his use of pornography. Hey, you should be thinking only about me, desiring only me. In fact, uh, this is good jealousy. In fact, if a guy were, you know, casual about other people flirting with his wife or if he sees his wife kissing another guy and he's like, eh, who cares, we would say, what's wrong with you? You know, that's, that's ignomal. We don't respect that. Uh, that doesn't do justice to the, to the uh, importance of the marriage relationship. You've committed to loving each other for a lifetime. Uh, you're supposed to be faithful to each other. Well, that's God's jealousy. God is jealous to preserve the integrity of the covenantal relationship that he has with the Christian. There is an interesting story in the book of Numbers about a guy named Phinehas, who is said to have been jealous with God's jealousy. And it gives a little insight into what God's jealousy is all about. So Phinehas was the grandson of Aaron, the high priest. And this story takes place during the time that Israel wandered in the wilderness for 40 years prior to entering the promised land. And apparently at this time they were hanging out near Moab because the women of Moab invited the men of Israel to come party with them. Uh, Come join us in our sacrifices to our gods, which were times of debauched partying. Some of the men of Israel accepted the invitation. And this and so they were whoring with the women of Moab and with the gods of Moab. And this provoked God to jealousy. And in his jealous anger, he tells Moses, you find every man who went over there to Moab and you kill him. Take them all out, which Moses did. And the people of Israel gathered at the tent of meeting and they they were weeping and uh, repenting and, and praying for God's favor to return. And while that's happening, uh, uh, an Israelite man saunters up to camp with a Midianite woman, another Gentile, on his arm. And he takes her into his tent. Phinehas, the grandson of Aaron, the high priest, is, is a, his, he is jealous with God's jealousy, And he rises up and takes a spear and he enters into the tent and he spears uh, the Israelite man and the Midianite woman. And here is what God says about Phinehas in Numbers chapter 25. And the Lord said to Moses, Phinehas the son of Eleazar, son of Aaron the priest, has turned back my wrath from the people of Israel in that he was jealous with my jealousy among them so that I did not consume the people of Israel in my jealousy. Therefore say, behold, I give to him my covenant of peace, and it shall be to him and to his descendants after him the covenant of a perpetual priesthood, because he was jealous for his God and made atonement for the people of Israel. So what does it mean to be jealous with God's jealousy? Phinehas recognized that what that Israelite man was doing threatened the integrity of the covenantal relationship that God had with Israel. And then he acted to protect it. So here is, here is how J.I. Packer defines God's jealousy in his book, Knowing God. God demands from those whom he has loved and redeemed utter and absolute loyalty. And he will vindicate his claim by stern action against them if they betray his love by unfaithfulness. God is jealous for you. Now it is, every time God's jealousy is talked about in the Bible, it is within the context of the covenantal relationship that he has, either with Israel or with the Christian. Now God is, God is jealous for the spirit that he put in all people, and so I, I think it's appropriate to say that God is Jealous that all humans would worship him and enter into an, a relationship with him through faith in Jesus Christ. But in the scriptures where it talks about God being jealous, it's talking about his, his determination to protect the integrity of the relationship that he has with, with those who have said, I am a child of God. So if you are a Christian, God is jealous for you. You matter to God. You're a big deal to God. He values his relationship with you. All right, so four implications. Uh, Because God is jealous, dot, dot, dot. Number one, because God is jealous, he demands wholeheartedness from his people. I like what Jack Heil said in a sermon about God's jealousy. Now, what does the word jealous mean, he asks? Exactly what it says. God wants all of us. And if God does not have all of us, it makes him jealous. <laughs> Do you understand that when you signed up to be a Christian, uh, you signed up for an all-in relationship? The primary picture of the relationship between Christ and the Christian is that of uh, marriage, a marriage relationship. And a marriage relationship is a lifelong commitment uh, uh, to be faithful, a, a commitment of exclusivity, of fidelity. And, and so a husband is right to be, um, demand wholeheartedness from his wife. A wife is right to demand wholeheartedness from her husband. It, it's not appropriate for that relationship to involve other people, right? Whether real or imaginary. And, and it's not okay for, for, the, for the relationship to become, uh, for the spouses to become apathetic toward each other. No. The relationship is, is an exclusive relationship for a lifetime of wholehearted passion. That's what it was designed for, and it's a picture of God's uh, relationship with the Christian. Are you wholehearted about God? In Exodus chapter 20, this is the very first time it is stated that God is jealous. And it comes, God is explaining to Israel what he expects out of the relationship that he has with them. This is the giving of the Ten Commandments. Exodus chapter 20, verse 2. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. So he's saying here, I have a special relationship with you. I have a covenantal relationship. I'm your God. You're my people. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. So God is saying, all right, Israel, we're in a relationship. I'm your God, you're my people, but I want you to understand, I demand wholeheartedness from you. There won't be any other gods in this relationship. It's just the two of us. And that's God's heart for you. So, are you wholehearted? God doesn't want to be a sideshow on Sunday morning. He doesn't want to be one of your loves. He wants to be the primary. He wants your whole heart. And if he doesn't have all of you, it makes him jealous. Are are we wholehearted for God? Number two, because God is jealous, he addresses unfaithfulness. Israel was repeatedly unfaithful to God, and God addressed that unfaithfulness. He disciplined them in an attempt to Uh, recalibrate their hearts and return them to him. In Judges chapter 2, here's what we read, verse 11. And the people of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord and served the Baals. And this, by the way, was a repeated occurrence. And they abandoned the Lord, the God of their fathers, who had brought them out of the land of Egypt. They went after other gods from among the gods of the peoples who were around them and bowed down to them. And they provoked the Lord to anger. They aroused his jealousy. They abandoned the Lord and served the Baals and the Ashtaroths. They were unfaithful. So the anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel, and he gave them over to plunderers who plundered them, and he sold them into the hand of the surrounding enemies so that they could no longer withstand their enemies. Whenever they marched out, the hand of the Lord was against them for harm, as the Lord had warned and as the Lord had sworn to them, and they were in terrible distress. And, and this is a cycle, right? Uh, the people would start being unfaithful to God and so he would discipline them and then their hearts would return to him and then the next generation and, and it just kept going over and over. But God, because he is jealous for us, will address our unfaithfulness and that that should put some holy fear in us because <laughs> that's often a, an uncomfortable place to be. In Hebrews chapter 12, verse 6, we're told, for the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. The fact is we all wander at times. The fact is we are all unfaithful at times. And God's jealous love for us addresses that in order to return us to him. And so actually we should be thankful for God's discipline. Now you might be thinking, Mike, I'm not going to any other religious services. (laughs) I only go to church. When I get there. But, I, you know, I'm, I'm not bowing down to idols. I don't have any little figurines in my house. So how does this apply to me? Well, uh, spiritual adultery is more than just, in our day, is more than just bowing down to idols. In Revelation chapter 2, uh, Jesus, the risen Lord Jesus, has this to say to the church of Ephesus. To the angel of the church in Ephesus... Right. I have this against you, that you have abandoned the love you had at first. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, repent and do the works you did at first. If not, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. So here's God saying, uh, the cooling off of your love bothers me. And he'll, he'll address that. In Revelation chapter 3, the risen Lord says to, uh, says to the, the Laodiceans, and to the angel of the church in Laodicea write, I know your works, you are neither cold nor hot. Would that you were either cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I'll spit you out of my mouth. So uh, God doesn't like it when we're lukewarm about him. Right? He wants, he wants a, a wholehearted zeal, and he will, he will seek to address our, luke, our lukewarmness. And then in James chapter 4, this one is, uh, really challenges me. In James chapter 4, verse 4, we read, Do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you suppose it is to no purpose that the scripture says he yearns jealously over the spirit he has made to dwell in us? So maybe I'm not uh, a part of another religion, maybe I'm not bowing down to an idol, but am I a friend of the world? Do I desire friendship with the world? I really like what uh, a guy named Doriani says about uh, being a friend of the world, He said, you know, friends share a mindset and an outlook on life. Friends share interests, values, goals. They see life in much the same way. We're to be friends of God. But how many of us are friends of the world? We cannot be friends with the world because as Christians we reject its values. Our society is acquisitive. We value, uh, want more and more and more. We, we, acquire, we seek to acquire. And does that reflect our heart, right? Am I a friend of the world in the fact that I also am trying to accumulate, accumulate, accumulate? Our society is merit-based, valuing success and achievement over who I am in Jesus. Our society is self-promoting as opposed to God-promoting. So when, you, when we start to ask ourselves, hey, is, how much of that is true of me? Do I share the values and the interests and the goals of the world? Am I, a friend, am I a friend of the world or a friend of God? Well, God will address, he will address our unfaithfulness out of his jealous love for us. Number three, because God is jealous, our zeal pleases him. God likes it when we are zealous. Romans chapter 12, verse 11. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. God wants us to, uh, to be uh, fervent people, to be zealous Christians. In other words, the things of God should matter to us. They're important. I want to read you uh, fr- uh, an excerpt from a guy... Uh, He's long dead now, Bishop J.C. Ryle. And he talks about uh, zeal as a Christian. I'm going to read this in its entirety. A zealous man in religion is preeminently a man of one thing. Are you a person of one thing? It's not enough to say that he's earnest, hardy, uncompromising, thoroughgoing, wholehearted, fervent in spirit. He only sees one thing. He cares for one thing. He lives for one thing. He's swallowed up in one thing. And that one thing is to please God. Is that true of me? Whether he lives or whether he dies, whether he has health or whether he has sickness, whether he is rich or whether he is poor, whether he pleases man or gives offense, whether he's thought wise or thought foolish, whether he gets blame or whether he gets praise, whether he gets honor or shame. For all this, the zealous man cares nothing at all. He burns for one thing, and that one thing is to please God and to advance God's glory. If he's consumed in the very burning, he cares not for it. He's content. He feels that like a lamp he's made to burn, and if consumed in burning, he has but done the work for which God appointed him. Such a one will always find a sphere for his zeal, If he cannot preach, work, and give money, he'll cry and sigh and pray. If he can't fight in the valley with Joshua, he'll do the work of Moses, Aaron, and Hur. If he is cut off from working himself, he'll give the Lord no rest till he is raised up from another quarter and the work is done. This is what I mean when I speak of zeal in religion. Are you zealous for God? It matters to him. He wants our whole hearts. Finally, because God is jealous, he's always willing to help us return. In Jeremiah chapter 3, God is uh, pointing out Israel's unfaithfulness. Uh, He goes into excruciating detail about their uh, whoring after other gods. But then he says, but I'm still here if you will repent, I will take you back. Listen to this. The Lord said to me in the days of King Josiah, Have you seen what she did, that faithful one, faithless one, Israel? How she went up on every high hill and under every green tree and there played the whore? And I thought, after she's done all this, she will return to me. But she did not return. And her treacherous sister Judah saw it. She saw that for all the adulteries of that faithful one, Faithless one, Israel, I had sent her away with a decree of divorce. Yet her treacherous sister Judah did not fear, but she too went and played the whore. Skip a few verses. God says in 12, Go and proclaim these words toward the north and say, Return, faithless Israel, declares the Lord. I will not look on you in anger, for I am merciful, declares the Lord. I will not be angry forever. Only acknowledge your guilt that you rebelled against the Lord your God and scattered your favors among foreigners under every green tree and that you have not obeyed my voice, declares the Lord. So unlike human jealousy, where we get to a point where we say, enough, I'm done. Uh, God's, because he is, we, he is faith, faithful, he's always willing to take us back. And so no matter where we find ourselves, I mean, I have to imagine that God's Spirit is convicting us this morning, that for some of us, we're not wholehearted, right? We have been unfaithful, and we know there's unfaithfulness in our lives. And the Spirit of God's convicting us, well, but He's also wooing us back, and He's saying, return to me. I will not remain angry. Just all you've got to do is repent, acknowledge what you've done, and come back.